0: And thanks for listening. My name is Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here. I want to uh, point out one other announcement that's in the back of the worship guide. Tonight, immediately following the service, we're offering City Church Basics, which is a a class that we offer about three times a year. And it's uh, an opportunity to learn more about the church, who we are, what we believe, Um, how you can become more involved in the church and this class is required for people who want to become members um, but we also have people who go through the class and then decide that uh, they don't want to become members or at least they want to delay becoming members so even if you're just hearing about it now uh, and would like to come you're invited we're going to meet in room 300 up on the third floor after our service, and we have dinner, we have uh, more than enough food for all of you, so, well, not all of you, but any, anyone who would want to come, unless I, you know, blessed or something, and it's a loaves and fishes situation. Um, n- needless to say, we'd, we'd love to see you there. So, I've been preaching for a while, and every now and then, when you're preaching, you realize that you've hit a nerve, or you sort of pressed on a tender spot, and I had that sense last week when I began to talk about this conflict of kingdoms that we all live in, these rival kingdoms in our lives, things that grab and hold onto our hearts. And I realized as I was preaching that it's not just true of me, it's true for all of us. And the reason I brought that up is because we started this new sermon series from the book of Exodus, talking about the plagues and the Passover and one of the realities of this section of scripture is that god is dealing with the rival kingdom of egypt and and one of the challenges for us over the next several months is going to be finding connection points to this old story from israel's past how does it relate to us and i think this issue of rival kingdoms is really important It's it's a a foothold, or it's a, a way that we can find our way into this story as we begin to identify the kingdoms that we're captive to. And you know, every month when I read my credit card statement, I recognize a kingdom that I'm captive to. I I, I can begin to cringe, or I can begin to go back over the past month of spending and and, uh, feel bad about the things that I bought, or I can um, be triggered to want to buy more things, and I realize how captive my life is to money and stuff, either not having enough or wanting more, or feeling great anxiety over the the money that I've spent. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later as we work our way through this passage, but I wanted to start there because I think we need to, we need to feel viscerally why God's word matters for us. So I said we're in this series on the plagues and the Passover, and that comes from Exodus chapter 7 through 15, and we're going to read some of that today. I've already been made fun of once today about how long the scripture passage is, so you're going to have to bear with me as I read this, but this is done intentionally, because we believe at City Church that we need to read all of God's word. We're not going to skip around and leave out sections, because we believe that all of God's word speaks truth to us. So I know uh, it's, it's going to be a lot, but hang in there. This is God's word for us. I'm going to read beginning at verse 14 in chapter 7 through verse 19 in chapter 8. Here's what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of Hebrews Say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of the servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them. As the Lord had said, Pharaoh turned and went into his house and did not take even this to heart, and all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink. For they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go so that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all of your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people. And into your ovens and your kneading bowls, the frogs shall come upon you and your people and all of your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people, that the frogs be cut off from you and your house and be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow, Moses Uh, Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and from your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and cried out to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may be gnats and may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in the land of Egypt the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So they were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, just as the rain comes down from heaven and waters the earth, so now we ask that your word would come into our hearts and water it there and produce a fruit that is glorious and beautiful and good. We pray this in the name and in the power of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. All right, so we've gotten into the plagues this week. Last week was more or less an introduction of what was coming. And there's a series of 10 plagues in the book of Exodus. And today we're looking at the first three of these plagues. And the reason for that is that these plagues come in cycles. There are three cycles of three plagues. And then there's a final climactic, the 10th plague against Israel. And uh, what I want to do is explain, uh, sort of generally speaking, what these plagues do to, to offer an introduction and set the tone for what we'll read about over the next several weeks. I want to make three observations about plagues, and here's the first one. These plagues in Exodus, the first thing is this, that the plagues are strikes of judgment, they are strikes of God's judgment against the kingdom of Egypt and specifically against the disobedience of Pharaoh, this hard-hearted ruler of Egypt. We see this um, most clearly in verse 17 in chapter 7. As we get into the story, it says, um, in my, Take this staff that is in my hand. I will strike the water that is in the Nile. It's a strike of judgment brought against Egypt. And this staff that is used to to bring the plague by a strike, it shows up in the first three plagues, and it'll show up in the, the last three plagues as well. And if you remember from last week, we talked about this staff that is used to strike. It represents God. It's a symbol of God himself and his kingdom. So this is God's kingdom striking against the rival kingdom of Egypt. And it's striking in judgment. Now, the, we refer to these as the plagues, right? The ten plagues. But if you read closely, only one is actually a plague. right? The plague of boils, which we'll come to later. It comes in chapter 9, verse 14. And that's where this word plague is. That I will, I will plague Egypt, or I will bring my plagues against Egypt. Uh, but some that's why some people prefer... Uh, thinking about them as 10 strikes. They're really 10 works of God. They're 10 wonders of God. They're these things that come directly from the hand of God, supernaturally, and they bring judgment against the people of Egypt. Elsewhere in the passage, it talks about God's mighty hand that will be raised against Egypt to draw the connection that these come from God. Uh, earlier in chapter 7 it talks about them being uh, acts of judgment so we begin to get this profile of exactly what these plagues are they are strikes of judgment and they're sort of increasing in intensity as it moves forward uh, especially when we get to the final plague this climactic plague which is the death of the firstborn and they are intensifying strikes of judgment why well to try to compel Pharaoh to change his heart. This disobedient king of this rival kingdom, it is trying to get him to change his ways. And again, we see this, uh, the the futility of this, the failure of these strikes of judgment to bring change in Pharaoh as the passage goes along. Maybe you notice that. In uh, verse 13 of chapter 7, it says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It goes along a little bit more, and after the, first, um, after the first plague, it says in verse 23, Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. Right? So these strikes of judgment are coming, and again and again, we see repeated the fact that Pharaoh fails to take them to heart. They're not making an impact. These are blows from the hand of God that are glancing off his hard heart. So first of all, plagues are strikes of judgment of God against disobedience of the rival kingdom. Here's the second thing that plagues are doing. Plagues are reversals of creation. I introduced this a little bit last week if you were here. I said that what we'll see in the plagues is this work of decreation. It's undoing God's good work of creation. That's what the plagues do more or less. And so we started our service today by singing these songs of praise to the Lord, the King of creation. This is my Father's world. We look around and we see all the evidence of God's hand of creation. And what the plagues are doing is they're reversing that. They're undoing that. They're showing that what happens when you are captive to a rival kingdom is that it undoes the very fabric of creation. And so we get to plague number one, right? What is it? The Nile is turned to blood. The Nile, which in ancient Egypt was a sign of life, it becomes instead a sign of death. It's a reversal of creation, a stream, right? One of the greatest rivers in all the world, a source of abundance and fertility, a sign of God's good creation, instead becomes a place of death filled with stinking, rotting fish and animals. Yesterday here at City Church we had uh, our start with service day. Many of you were here and we learned about uh, one of the things we learned about was water and the importance of people throughout the world having water, clean water. Why? Because water is this symbol of life. That's what the Nile was for Egypt. It was the center of And the source of life. But it wasn't just a center for physical life. So they could drink. But it was the center point and the source of their whole economy. All All of their livelihood depended on this river. That once a year would flood over its banks. And create this rich land for growing and raising crops. Their whole economy was based on this river. And so... But God, through this first strike of judgment, is going at the nerve center. He's going at the heart of the kingdom. Why? Because Egypt didn't recognize God as the true source of life. They recognized the Nile River. They even had fertility goddesses to the river that they worshipped and knelt down to. It's one thing to receive the gift of God's good creation, And say the Nile is the source of our economy. But it led them to worship the creation rather than the creator. That was their problem. Now, throughout these plagues, there's another temptation that I I just want to briefly encourage us to avoid. And that temptation, is maybe it's something you've heard before. But whenever there's a supernatural act of God, people try to come up with naturalistic explanations for it. So there are people who will say, oh, well, uh, there was this judgment on the River Nile and it, it didn't really turn to blood, it just looked like blood because there was a lot of rain and the silt washed out into the, the river and so it, took, it sort of took on a, a red tint. Do you drive over the James this river uh, this week, right? The James River this week, after all the rain, it looked like chocolate milk. right? And, and we could do the same thing with this sign except that it wasn't just the Nile that turned to blood, right? It was all the water in Egypt, in their canals, and in their cisterns, and in their vessels of wood. And there's also the precision of when it happened, right? Moses confronts uh, Pharaoh, and he, uh, the, the uh, staff is struck, and immediately the water turns. It hadn't been flowing downstream, filled with silt. Right? these natural explanations don't do justice to scripture and they don't make logical sense this is a sign a strike of God it's a reversal of creation what's the second plague so we start with the Nile turning to blood the second plague that we encounter here is the plague of frogs and still it's related to the Nile right Again, this is uh, a, a reversal of creation. This river that is meant to, to be filled with uh, life and animals that are a blessing and that work together in harmony. Suddenly, it's all changed. I can't uh, read this plague without thinking of a, an old movie that probably very few of you have seen, but it's the movie Magnolia. It's by Paul Thomas Anderson from 1999. I think my movie reference last week was from 1996, so I'm I'm getting a little more current. Still haven't cracked this millennium though, um, but there's this scene right towards the end where it begins to rain frogs, and it's a long scene. It's like five minutes of just frogs raining down from the sky. And the thing that stands out about it is how loud it is, right? Because frogs are hitting the ground or they're hitting the windshield. And we read it here in the text, but can we come to terms with what it would be like to have a frog infestation? In your house, in your cupboard, in your car, in your kneading bowl. That one hits me close to home, right? It's this wild scene of chaos, of creation run amok. Why? Well, it's meant to show again A battle between kingdoms, a battle between gods. And and notice another thing about these first two plagues. It's kind of interesting, right? Uh, Moses and Aaron strike the staff of God and these plagues affect Egypt. And then the magicians of Egypt are able to mimic it, right? They do the same thing. And this kind of has an effect on Pharaoh. He's like, oh, no big deal. They can do the same thing. Maybe it's not that powerful. But notice the thing that the magicians of Egypt cannot do. They can't make it stop. That would be the real sign. Stop the chaos. Stop the reversal of creation. There are many people who can add more to the chaos of life. But it is only God, the true God, the Lord who wins, who can put an end to the chaos, who can bring peace. That's what these signs are meant to show us. That's what these strikes are all about. It's an escalating war, this battle between gods, this invasion of the true God coming to face down the rival kingdom. And at the end of this second plague, the Bible is very short and to the point, right? It says, and the land stank. Chapter 8, verse 14. Have you ever smelled a dead rotting frog or maybe a squirrel that got in between the walls of your house and decided to die there or maybe a possum underneath your front porch it's this foul smell it's the worst thing ever and this was the whole land of egypt this capping sign of the reversal of creation because god's judgment comes and it comes in sensory terms the land stank. All right, so we get to plague three, and it concludes this cycle, and one of the reasons we recognize this cycle is because the, the, the last plague in each of the three cycles is really short, right? The water of the Nile was more developed, the frogs, it went on forever, and by the time we got to plague three, you're like, finally a short one. They tell this one in just a paragraph. There's less buildup, but again, notice that it involves a reversal of creation, there's no warning in this one either, right? Moses and Aaron don't come to Pharaoh and say, this is what's going to happen. It just happens. Nats, these clouds of gnats begin to uh, infest Egypt. I can't think about this plague without thinking about a baseball game. And it has nothing to do with the Red Sox, which might surprise some of you, but it does have to do with the Yankees. That's the only reason I know about it. It was October 5th, 2007. And the Yankees were playing the Indians, the Cleveland Indians at the time. It was the ALDS, game two. And the Indians were down uh, one to zero. And uh, it's the eighth inning. And the Yankee relief pitcher, Jabba Chamberlain, comes into the game. The game is being played in Cleveland right on the banks of the uh, Lake Erie. And suddenly, in the midst of the eighth inning, this cloud of midges, which are little flying insects, they're kind of smaller than a mosquito, they're basically gnats, they descend on the stadium, and they're all over Jabba Chamberlain. You can see them on his face, and on his cap, and on his uniform, and he just can't handle it. He goes on to throw a wild pitch, walk about, or throw another wild pitch, and the game is tied, and the Indians went on to win in extra innings. Because I'm a Red Sox fan, that's the only reason I remember that. But that's what it's like to have gnats descend on you. And here, uh, it wouldn't just be on a stadium or on a player, but over the entire country, over the entire kingdom. Gnats, this sign, this reversal of creation. And it says, very specifically, strike the dust of the earth that it may become gnats right what was it that God created humanity out of the dust it's this working backwards of God's creation in the same way that the world was supposed to team with uh, and swarm with all the animals living together in harmony now the land of Egypt is swarming with frogs and it's teeming with gnats and notice that this one the magicians can't replicate They had some power over the Nile, but when it comes to the land and the air, they are powerless. It is only the true God, the God of Israel, the God who wins, who can do anything. So here's the point of all this, right? As we worked our way through these plagues, why does this matter? What is this all about? Well, what it's all about is it's showing where the kingdom of Egypt is trusting in creation rather than in creator and we need to ask the same question about us what is our Nile River right the e- Egypt looked at the Nile and they said this is the source of life this is the source of security this is the source of our identity and God uses these plagues to say no none of it, it can't provide that for you what is it for you I alluded earlier to what one of the things it is for me it's money the source of identity the source of security the the thing that I look to and say if I have that then I have life then I have fullness then I have flourishing and in the same way that God brings strikes of judgment against the Nile River so I think he for many of us brings a strike of judgment against money and the place that money has in our lives let me be clear i'm not saying that money in itself is wrong but when we look at money as the source of our identity and security when we look to money as a source of our life we should expect that god will bring a strike of judgment against that because we are worshiping something that is an idol something that can never bear the weight that we give it to i know this is uncomfortable you don't like people talking about this you don't like thinking about your spending it's a confront it's a confrontation with a rival kingdom and when it feels threatened we do what egypt did right I, i didn't talk about this earlier but there's this great scene in the first plague right the the nile river the source of life has turned to blood and what do the egyptians do they start digging trenches by the river How are we digging trenches? Where does that show up in your life? I'll work a little bit harder. I'll make a little bit more. If I could only get to this level, then I'll be okay. It's a false God. All right, I've talked about how the plagues are strikes of judgment. I've talked about how the plagues are reversals of creation. Here's the third and most important thing for you to understand about plagues. Plagues, the plagues are also signs of God's mercy, signs of God's mercy. And here's the flip side to judgment. Mercy and judgment always run together. Two sides of the same coin, mercy and judgment with God. There's several uh, hints of this, especially towards the end of the passage, where we see that these plagues are meant to point us to God's mercy. The first is how Moses becomes a mediator for Egypt. It says, In verse 9 in chapter 8, it says this, Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people. Moses is presenting himself as one who will plead with the true God on behalf of Egypt. And he even says, hey, Pharaoh, tell me when you want to go to God, when you want me to ask for mercy. And Pharaoh gives a really strange response, right? He says, tomorrow? Like if your land were infected with uh, frogs, wouldn't you want that to be gone immediately? How about now? Now's a good time, Moses. But he says, tomorrow. And Moses does that, and he, he pleads, he mediates, he asks for mercy from God. And it shows the precision of God. At any moment, you just tell me the moment, and I will snap my fingers, and God will have mercy on you. And then it says in verse 15, after Moses has acted as this mediator of mercy, it says, when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, right? The frogs went away. They could breathe again. There was respite. That's another sign of God's mercy, that these plagues are signs of God's mercy. And notice what the magicians do at this point. It's a fascinating moment. This comes in verse 19. This is after the third plague now. And the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. You see, through these strikes of judgment, through these reversals of uh, creation, there are some in Egypt who recognize it for what it really is. This is the finger of God, Pharaoh. There's mercy in that advice. There's mercy in that admonition. There's a chance to repent. There's a chance for this stubborn heart to melt. But Pharaoh's heart is hard. And he turns away even from that. And there's warning there for us, right? Because we stand in a different place than Pharaoh does. But we ought to draw some lessons from what's happening here in Exodus 7 and Exodus 8. To see the true mercy of God. In the plagues we have to look past these 10 strikes of judgment to a final ultimate strike of judgment that was not administered to egypt or to pharaoh but it was a strike of judgment that was administered by god against his own son on the cross that's what the cross was it was a strike of judgment for the sin of humanity and our assurance of pardon today, uh, quoted from Isaiah, where it talks about this and it says, uh, uh, he, was, he was beaten for us. Our chastisement felt on him, fell on Him. He was struck for us. He bore the judgment of God so that we would be free from all the kingdoms that captivate us in our hearts. It took 10 strikes. To get Israel out of Egypt. It only takes one strike. To get us out of bondage to sin. And it's the strike of God himself against his son. Jesus Christ. Judgment falls on another. So that we can go free. You see these plagues are signs also of God's mercy if we have eyes to see, if we can see the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. The New Testament picks up on the theme of Exodus in a few different places, and one of those is in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, some of you may know, is this famous faith chapter it's uh, sometimes called the faith hall of fame and it talks about Moses in that chapter and it talks about different ways that he uh, manifested faith and it says this in Hebrews eleven twenty six. 26 it says by faith Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward could say a lot just about that single verse right he considered the reproach of christ moses by faith looking ahead through the mercy of god saw the reproach of christ christ's death on the cross he considered that greater than the riches of egypt will we do the same thing as you look at the cross, as you look at the judgment of God poured out on another, will you see that as greater riches than all the money in your bank account, than all the purchases on your credit card statement, of all the salary goals that you have for yourself this year? Friends, your life will only find its true treasure in Jesus Christ, not in the riches of Egypt or the treasures of your bank account or the furnishings of your home or the car that you drive only in Christ. We've got to stop digging trenches beside the Nile River and instead we need to go in repentance and faith to Jesus, the one who in John 7 says, if you believe in me, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for these old words that seem so distant and far removed from us, words that are hard even to understand or to believe that they happened. But would you give us, by the power of your Spirit, eyes to see how not only are they true, but they are relevant to our lives. And would you lead us to see the mercy behind these strikes of judgment and the plagues? Mercy for Pharaoh and mercy for us. Would you give us the strength and the courage to do the hard work of repenting? So that when others point us to the work of God and the finger of God, we wouldn't dismiss it. But we would receive it as a sign of your grace to us. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen.